Um, good every morning, everyone. Um, it definitely feels like summer already, isn't it? So I thought now's a good time to uh, tell you about the special design of our bulletins. So our bulletin is not designed so that you can just read and take notes. It's designed with a special weight so you can function as also a fan. So if you want to use that as a fan during the sermon, I won't be offended. Uh, just be careful to not maybe punch the person next to you in the face as you do that. Um, but also wanted just to make a quick announcement uh, to give you an update on the progress of our planning for next year. Uh, so the staff team had had a productive uh, planning day. Uh, we've now drafted a ministry plan um, and now it's in the final stages of being reviewed by session and com. Um, and I hope to send that out to the congregation sometime before next Sunday. And I think I just want to share the key message that I have written down is this, is that Chapel Hill, where we're at as a church, the story so far is that we've worked hard to lay down the foundations of our church, uh, and we're now ready and excited to build up God's house. And I think that's the season that we're going to enter into in 2019, and that's a really exciting season. And what I'm talking about foundation is, I do refer to teams uh, and property and ministries and community groups, but I believe the foundational work that has been uh, formed is not so much what we've done, but what God has done in our hearts. That foundational work of binding our community in love and unity. And I think it's that foundation that has given us the spiritual energy, vitality and commitment uh, to build up God's house the next year. Uh, so I'm looking forward to sending that out to everyone and hopefully you get to read uh, and does mention in terms of in the new year where we can gather together and talk more through it. Uh, so why don't I just say a quick prayer uh, and give thanks for God for the great foundational work that he's done in our church community. Father in heaven, we thank you so much um, that as we have planted Chapel Hill, um, it's not so much of what we've done, but what you have done in a group of people that started with pretty much nothing. And today we have uh, a group of people that is ready and excited to help uh, build up your, your house, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that next year it will be a house of many rooms where many people can come uh, to know you and be part of our community, and together we might strive to experience more of your fullness in our lives as we share the fullness of your gospel to our city. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week we looked at the dangers of greed as James assessed the lives of the rich outside the church. Uh, James, in today's passage, now turns his attention to believers in the church who were perhaps poor or perhaps oppressed. And so James moves from the oppressor to the oppressed, and he says to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, in verse 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And I have to admit that I personally find the call to patience really hard. If you know me, then you would know that I'm the type of guy who would be known as an activist. I'm a doer. I'm action-orientated. I fight back. I take the stand. I take charge. But as I've tried to humble myself and let James speak into my heart and be open for him to minister to the areas of my sin, I've found that James is showing me that the big spiritual battles are not at the dramatic, watershed, die-on-a-hill moments of life. James has been showing to me 
particularly through this passage, is that the big spiritual battles are in the small choices of everyday life. It's in those mundane moments of life where the spirit of serenity, quietness, and steadfastness is at war with the spirit of restlessness, irritability, the spirit of always complaining, always being unhappy. It's in those everyday moments of life where the spirit of patience is at war with the spirit of grumbling. And we live in a city where the level of busyness and congestion is really testing our patience on a day-to-day basis. And James is showing that that everyday patience is the grounds for spiritual warfare. So how do we become more patient? James instructs us to first consider how a farmer waits. Verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. When we think of farmers, it's very easy for us Aussies to think about Australian farmers. When we think about this verse, we think our outback Australia. And so we might be thinking that James is telling us city folk to be more like the Aussie country folk. The image of that stoic, hard yakka farmer who just grinds his way through the drought. Harden up, you soft city slickers. But that's not the image that James is trying to conjure up. See, the reference to the autumn and spring rains was a very unique feature in the climate of Palestine in the time when James wrote his letter. The autumn early rain came in October to really prepare the soil for the seed in order to begin the process of germination. The spring rain came in March and it's where the rain would swell up that seed into a grain and it would guarantee a good crop. And so James uses this kind of a local farming reference to his local area as analogy to the Christian life. That God plants the seed of faith. He's the one that grows the faith. He's the one that preserves the faith. And he's the one that swells up the faith when the harvest time comes. What a vivid picture it is of the Christian life. See, God plants his faith in the autumn. And through the harsh winters of our lives... The harsh conditions, the trials and the tests, God sustains and protects us through those winters till spring comes. When we are grown into full maturity when the Lord Jesus comes again. And so this is the very first point that James actually makes about his whole letter. His first point is that when faith meets life's tests, when faith is planted and goes through winter... God uses that winter period to grow us into full maturity of settled character through God's sovereign handiwork as a great sovereign farmer. See, the picture of patience in the Christian life is not a hardened, battled, ridden Aussie farmer who muscles his way through life. The picture of patience in the Christian life is that we are all like seeds in God's gentle hands who nourishes and grows us through all seasons of life. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. It is God who grows our faith. But James also says that we also play a part. James says in verse 8, 
You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. The part we play is to stand firm, which means to have a fixed heart. James throughout his letter has always referred to not being double-minded, not being double-devoted. And so standing firm is having a single-minded heart as opposed to a double-minded heart, a heart that's fixed on Jesus in terms of loyalty and devotion, a heart that is fixed on the spring harvest that Jesus will bring, rather than being swayed and tempted away from the indulgence of wealth and the world. And so we can patiently fix our hearts to Jesus because we know that spring will come. And that's the difference between our farmers who bless their souls and work have determination but not a sure hope. The Christian has determination because of the sure hope we have in Jesus. That's the difference. It's a different kind of determination. It's a determination with a spirit of peace and settledness and joyful hope. So patience is determination to fix our hearts to Jesus, but also patience is also not grumbling. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. What's grumbling? It's complaining. Grumbling is scorning at people. Grumbling is always finding fault in things. And when things get tough, when the pressure is on, isn't it all too very easy for us to turn on to each other and take our frustrations out to our fellow brothers and sisters to vent our discontentment amongst the church community. And James says this is a very serious matter because you will be judged and God, the judge, is out on Darling Street standing at the door. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? That feels a bit heavy-handed, doesn't it? Is this a bit too much? Is this just another case of, look, Christianity is just being, again, unrealistic about its standards? You might be thinking, come on, look, it's just complaining. Guys, don't sweat the small stuff. What's so bad? Everyone in Sydney complains. The reason why James says grumbling and complaining is so bad, it's because complaining is the seed of something that's poisonous and toxic. Complaining is the seed of feeding and growing into the spirit of restlessness irritability, of always being unhappy. And when that poisons the church community, it feeds a culture of restlessness which produces a hastiness to speak without thinking. It produces actions without praying. It produces service without God's power. Complaining feeds into a culture of irritability instead of empathy, forbearance and love. Complaining feeds a culture of being unhappy instead of being content, joyful in our personal relationship with God, who nothing in the world can change. And as Luke, Kevin and I have been planning for our ministries in the new year, we had a very important discussion about the type of culture that we want to foster at Chapel Hill, particularly in terms of feedback. And the leadership literature on best practice on feedback all show that feedback is best given immediately, so it's timely and you don't fester over things, being specific so you don't end up assassinating someone's character, and giving feedback in person so there's no misunderstanding. And most importantly, to show you that you value the relationship more 
and the mistakes, the nuances. And and so at Chapel Hill, we want to create a culture that welcomes feedback that is done well, immediate, specific, and in person. And you might have noticed that the recent church survey is done in community groups rather than a 100-question survey because we want to foster relationship. We want to foster love and honesty in that context. And so we want to welcome feedback, but we also want to shut down complaining. We want to welcome feedback that's done well, and we want to shut down complaining. And the way to do this is to tell the person to have a coffee chat with the person that their feedback is directed towards. You don't need to take notes. You can sympathize, yes, but you don't need to answer on behalf of another person. Just tell them to have a coffee with the other person or leader the person who can actually listen and have the ability to make things change. So we want to shut down complaining where the person who is responsible is not in that conversation because we want to shut down the spirit of restlessness. We want to shut down the spirit of irritability. We want to shut down the spirit of picking faults and fights about everything. Instead, we want to welcome feedback with coffee in person, in love, so we can welcome a spirit of sincerity, of joy and steadfastness. And so at Chapel Hill, feedback goes hand in hand with coffee. That's what we do. And we are not perfect people, but we come together to worship a perfect, good, loving and sovereign God whom we are united to, whom we are intimate communion with through the Holy Spirit, so that we would be filled with love, joy, and peace. That's his desire for us. And so therefore God, in James, condemns those things that eat away at our love, peace, and joy in God. And so that's one really simple, practical application for us as a church community. But how do we deal with a deeper heart issue? How do we deal with the root cause of grumbling and complaining when our lives get tough? To deal with our heart issue, James points us to the example of the prophets and Job. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have preserved. You have heard of Job's perseverance and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James points us to the example of how the prophets faced suffering with patience and he does it to do two things the first thing is that we might be able to the scripture might be be able to empathize with us to show that what we're going through in our suffering is not a novel thing the bible shows us that we are not alone in our suffering as followers of jesus and so we can find solidarity with god's people in the past and through all generations in the experience of suffering And we need reminding of this, don't we? Because as Western Christians, we fall into that pattern to feel that comfort and that life going well is the normal way of Christian living. And that somehow hardship is abnormal or even a sign that God is not happy with us or it's a sign that somehow there's a fault in my Christian life. The Bible constantly shows us that suffering as a believer is in fact the normal thing not the abnormal thing. And the second thing that the example of the prophet shows us that it's possible to live with both patience in our suffering. 
The prophets, instead of using their mouths to complain at God's people, they used their mouths to minister to God's people. We read that they spoke in the name of the Lord. They spoke of scripture, they spoke of God's word as a way to encourage and minister to God's people in their suffering. How incredible is that, that they minister to God's people while they were suffering, rather than wait till the suffering had stopped. And so James wants us to know that when we face our suffering, it is by no means easy. Scripture is empathetic with that, but it's certainly not new. And what James calls us to do to be patient and serve him in our suffering is neither novel, but it's neither impossible. Because the Lord is full of compassion and is full of mercy. Through it all, he preserves us and we can be remain faithful to God. And we see this in Job. Job eventually experienced prosperity at the end. Job is an example who literally lost everything. But in the end, he experienced prosperity. And that's proverbial of the riches that we will receive in eternal life as followers of Jesus. And so the heart issue in our Instagramming culture is that we don't have the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual resources to deal with suffering well. Because our culture does not know the Lord who is full of compassion and mercy. It's only when we know Jesus who is full of compassion and mercy can we start to see that our suffering has an end. But it's not a gloomy end. It's a springtime end that will lead to eternal life. And only when we know Jesus can we ever see the smallness of our suffering, as hard as it, we, it is, but it's still small compared to the largeness of eternal life. So patience is standing firm. Patience is not grumbling. And lastly, James tells us to not swear. Now, the swearing that James prohibit here is not dropping the F-bomb. It's not having a potty mouth. It's not having dirty language. Although those are obviously not good ways to speak to people. But the swearing that James is speaking about is making an oath, a promise or pledge in the name of God. And James instructs us in verse 12, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simply, yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. When we face trials or oppression, we can find ourselves, you can relate to this, you can find yourself when things get tough, making promises to God. In those moments when we do get humbled, when we actually turn things around and we actually seek to be more obedient to God, and again, I'm sure you can relate to this, or you may have heard of testimonies where people have made dramatic vows to turn their lives around and give their lives to serve him in the thick of trouble and hard times. James acknowledges that in our stresses, we can actually make unrealistic promises and pledges to God made in the most solemn terms. James, he's a practical guy, as we know. He cares more about being real than being dramatic. And he encourages us to simply mean what we say. To simply say yes and mean it, or to simply say no and mean it. That shows more integrity. That shows more character. That shows more truthfulness than to make lofty oaths, swearing in God's name, and not actually coming through with it in the end. 
And so James has been showing us the essential unity between faith and faithfulness. And that is expressed and shown by the unity between our speech and actions. To not say one thing and then do another. And so we practice truth speaking because Jesus, who is the truth, dwells in us. So how does this work out in my life? I mean, how can we possibly be Job in our city? How can we complain less and just stop attacking people and just stop being unhappy all the time? I'm sure that's something that you want to change. The way that your heart can be melted down and to start to become more patient, be more radiant and loving, is to actually think about God's patience. In Exodus, we read that God is the Lord, slow to anger and patient in mercy. Have you ever been, ever seen a distressed cat being saved, being rescued? Have you seen a person rescuing a stressed out cat and the cat was biting and clawing and bloodying that person, that volunteer who had the heart to rescue that cat? If you want your heart to be melted to become more patient, you have to think about all the times and all the places when God was rescuing you, God was protecting you, God was holding you up. In those times, you were at very least ungrateful or indifferent to Him, ignoring Him, forgetting about Him, or at your worst, you were biting, scratching, bloodying Him all through that time when all he wanted to do was rescue you, love you, protect you. At your worst, Jesus was bloodied on the cross. At the cross, he was bloodied because he was full of compassion and mercy. He did not retaliate, but patiently he endured the cross to rescue you. Let that melt your heart. So you can't beat yourself into patience. You can only repent yourself into patience. To see that Jesus was slow to anger with you and only when you can confess that truth will you ever be ever patient with others. Only until you can see how impatient and bad you are towards God can you ever become radiantly wonderful, good and a loving person to others. Only when you see Jesus serve and minister you in his patient suffering can you ever have the power to serve and minister to others in your suffering. Let's pray. God, thank you for granting us your patience by giving us your son. By looking at your patience towards us, Father, make us to be a people of patience, steadfastness, a people of radiant love. Make it so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.